Craft Beer Radio presents the 2012 Saver Salons. For the fifth year, we recorded the salons at Saver. This year, there were 18 in all, six educational salons and 12 private tasting salons. You can find all the Saver podcasts, including ones from the past five years, all on our website at craftbeerradio.com. Get Surly in D.C. Omar Ansari and Todd Hogue of Surly Brewing Company taste three of their beers, including rare offerings. My name is Bob Pease. I'm the COO for the Brewers Association. Um, the Brewers Association is the group that uh, puts on Sabre. This is our fifth, uh, fifth year uh, doing Sabre, and uh, we're really excited to be uh, here in Washington and appreciate all of you guys coming in tonight and uh, hearing a little about from Omar and Todd about Surly, uh, Surly Brewers. Brewers Association is a trade association for America's small and independent craft breweries. There are now over 2,000 small and independent breweries in the United States. Well, it's a, you know, that's, that's a pretty exciting number for all of us. Um, Brewers Association does a lot on behalf of those small and independent breweries. We do a lot of special events like Savor. We also do an event called the Great American Beer Festival every fall. In Denver. Uh, this year it's uh, October 11th through 13th, so hopefully uh, some of you will make it out for that. Uh, we do uh, media work on behalf of our members, statistical research, and uh, we also are very active in government affairs. And then we have our great website, craftbeer.com, that I'd encourage everyone to uh, try to visit. Uh, it's kind of your one stop shop for everything about craft beer. So uh, before we get started, and uh, before I get to introduce uh, Omar and Todd, I want to just quickly recognize our sponsors for tonight. First, I want to thank all of you. Give a hand. Come on for being here. Right, right. It, starts with, it starts with all of you and uh, your support and enthusiasm for uh, American craft. Supporting, our supporting partner sponsors are the Reyes Beverage Group, Abita Brewing Company, Dogfish Head Craft Brewery, Samuel Adams and Brewery Omegang. And then our supporting, uh, our, par- our supporting breweries are Allagash, Boulevard, Brooklyn, Devil's Backbone, Full Sail, Flying Dog Ales, okay. um, Rogue, Saranac, and Sierra Nevada. So our speakers here tonight are Omar Ansari and Todd Haug from Surly Brewing Company. Uh, Omar and Todd started Surly uh, in December of 2005. And uh, in that short uh, six and a half year period, they have grown Surly uh, to be one of the leading craft breweries, not only in the Twin Cities region, but also in the United States. They were named uh, the best brewery in the United States by Beer Advocate in 2007. Omar has been named uh, Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young, and uh, they've quickly gained a reputation for strong, innovative, and uh, really uh, uh, dynamic beers that kind of push the envelope, and we're going to get to taste three of those tonight. Omar uh, got into beer by, uh, like many of our members and many of our brewery owners, as a home brewer. He uh, started home brewing, I think, in, what, 2004? 94. Uh, and then an interesting story is uh, when his, uh, the birth of his first child came around, uh, like uh, eight years later, 2002, something like that. 
instead of sending out the traditional birth announcement, he sent the birth announcement, but accompanied with the home group. Uh, both the birth announcement and the arrival of his child was very well received, but so was the beer. And so that led to, uh, you know, at the, that time, I think Omar was uh, managing or running his uh, parents' industrial abrasives business in the Twin Cities. And uh, the brewery is actually still located in that, in that same building. But uh, he's like, at that point, I think I need to try something else. So and by day, he was running uh, the abrasives business. And he, at the same time, was uh, learning, to, uh, learning about beer. And he uh, served an apprenticeship at uh, New Holland Brewing Company, which many of you probably are familiar with, in Holland, Michigan. And then he also uh, started assisting brewing at the uh, Minneapolis Rock Bottom, where he met Todd. And uh, the rest, I think, was kind of history. Uh, they opened uh, Surly in December of 2005, and we're very pleased to have uh, both uh, Omar and Todd with us tonight. So please welcome them. Oh, and uh, one other thing. Omar is also a nat but not world champion ultimate frisbee player. Yeah, you take, take those two. Hello. Um, well, I actually, I met Bob uh, for the first time um, when uh, we were both playing Ultimate uh, out in uh, Florida at the uh, National Championship. So uh, I was lucky enough to uh, um, meet him over there. Uh, one of the good things about starting a brewery was we got to sponsor, sponsor an Ultimate team. So uh, uh, back uh, b before Todd and I got the brewery going, we had a lot of T-shirts, some Frisbees, and an Ultimate team. So there was no beer. But uh, uh, we had a few, uh, a few pieces uh, uh, to, uh, to show around. It took the brewery a little bit longer to get going. So um, maybe before I get too far into uh, talking a little bit about Surly, would be a great time to crack open some of the beers, uh, which is really why you guys are all here. Um, and uh, we could start, uh, start with that, which is uh, our canned beer, Furious. And um, get those, a little bit of that around to everyone. So the three beers we brought here today are Furious. Uh, which is one of our mainstays, and two of our specialties, Darkness, uh, last year's Darkness, and also a bottle of uh, five, which is our fifth anniversary beers. You guys all received glasses from Spiegelau when you came into the room. Uh, please take those with you. Uh, that's uh, you know, a, little, uh, a little perk for uh, being at tonight's uh, private tasting. So we passed that around. Um, we're going to let Todd uh, kind of go right into talking about the beer here for a little bit. Um, but a little bit about Todd Haug. Um, he and I actually go way back. We went to uh, junior high together. Um, uh, but uh, we didn't share our passion for beer back at that point. It was... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> we had uh, uh, not really remained in touch whatsoever. And uh, it was... In uh, April of 2004, when I uh, uh, really got the idea to start a brewery in the Twin Cities, and I was at the Craft Brewers Conference out in San Diego, and I had uh, uh, was just sitting around. Uh, I went out to this uh, event to try and get as much knowledge, insight as I could about the beer business because it was three months uh, after I came up with this idea of hey, I could I should open a brewery in the Twin Cities, and uh, went to this conference. 
and uh, soaking up as much information as I could and uh, just sitting around uh, um, in between sessions uh, with my name tag on and Todd walks by and saw my name tag and said, hey, are you the Omar that uh, is trying to start a brewery in the Twin Cities? That's when, when it's a great time to have a name like Omar. If it would have been like yeah. Steve. I don't know if he would have picked me out. But uh, I said, yeah, how do you know? And he said, well, I saw you had a posting on a beer forum about brewery drains, a question about beer drains. And uh, he introduced himself, said he was the head brewer at Rock Bottom in Minneapolis, and uh, he would uh, get me a beer when, uh, when we're back in town. So that was around the time I was drinking beer uh, all over the state, trying to uh, um, get out, try as many different breweries, beers. I was a uh, home brewer, uh, keeping pretty busy with that um, around that time, but really didn't go out to get to a lot of breweries, uh, like Bob said, uh, with my... Uh, uh, I think two-year-old son, Max, at home didn't get out as much uh, as I used to, so I sort of made a redoubled my efforts to get out and see breweries around town, around the state. And uh, I saw Todd a little bit into that process after he invited me on out there and had a couple of fantastic beers, and I, I still have a notebook in my office in which I wrote down best beers I've had in Minnesota so far. And uh, that remained the case, and um, found out Todd uh, had uh, started working over at Summit, which is sort of the, uh, uh, the, the brewery that got craft beer started in Minnesota in the Twin Cities in around 1994. And, uh, they started in 86. Todd started working there in 94 in the bottling line and was there around uh, eight years and uh, worked his way up to being a brewer and uh, then was the head, head brewer at Rock Bottom for 10 years. So um, then I was able to, uh, after I... I uh, Met him, uh, had those beers, and I always say getting a job in the beer business is as much luck as anything. His assistant had recently quit, so he, uh, I don't know if, I, Bob, I would say I was really an assistant at, uh, at Rock Bottom. I usually volunteer, maybe. I don't know, Todd might say I made yeah, more I'll trouble than it was. <laughs> but uh, uh, just started going down there, helping him out a little bit, um, and really just trying to get a little insight on the craft beer scene. I was a home brewer. I didn't know anything about the beer business, anything about the scene, and Todd was willing to share a little bit of information and his insights. So I'd go down and uh, work at my folks' factory for a few hours, uh, shoot on down there for lunch, hang out with Todd for a couple hours. We'd talk a little bit, and then back to, uh, back to work. So um, I'd ask Todd, uh, oh, probably in the first three, four months, if he'd be interested in working at this new project, because uh, you know, his beers continued to impress and found out he knew how to pull apart a motor and uh, how to weld stainless steel and uh, uh, thought he could be a huge asset to, to this new project. And he said, well, you know, it, it's a little risky to work at a startup, so I don't think that would be something I'd be interested in. And uh, about eight months later, I was bemoaning the fact to Todd that I couldn't find anyone to, uh, to brew the beer at, uh, at the new place. And uh, he, he, at that point, volunteered and said, well... Maybe, uh, uh, maybe, maybe he could be the guy to do it. So, uh, so Todd came on board in 2005. We got a brewery, a 30-barrel Sprinkman Brewery, which is a brew house manufacturer out of Wisconsin, uh, used from the Dominican Republic. And uh, uh, we got it up there and literally uh, put the whole thing together. So Todd not only has brewed all the beers, but literally sweated all the copper, welded all the stainless to put it back together. So that's my little intro on Todd. And I uh, want to let him talk a little bit about... About Furious and a little bit about Surly. Cool. Thanks for coming, guys. Um, like Omar said, I started, uh, he had some of the dates wrong, but um, so I've been, I've made my living working in breweries for about 20 years, um, which uh, makes me feel old, but that's okay. Um, the, uh, 
I, like most guys in the industry, I started homebrewing when I was 21 um, and quickly realized that I was fascinated with the process, what went into the beer to create different flavors, um, how you could manipulate that, much like a chef gets into cooking, um, kind of really wanted to dig down into where do those flavors come from. Um, and that kind of uh, started me on that path of homebrewing too much and not being able to drink it. So, um, you know, you only have so many friends that can drink all your homebrew. So uh, I went on a tasting um, that was through, like, an adult kind of, like, extracurricular class program at the University of Minnesota. There was a beer tasting program uh, led by Mark Stutrud at Summit, the president. Um, I grabbed him after said, do you guys ever need any help? I'm not looking for full-time work. I'm just really fast. I want to work in a brewery. And he said, well, call, will you put your name on a list? We need part-time help, you know, Laverne and Shirley kind of stuff. So I got in there and, and quickly realized that everything about it, from breaking, you know, troubleshooting when stuff breaks to uh, the, the joy of being able to have a beer when you fix it and the beer turns out good. So um, brings us to this point. Um, this is Furious. This is our flagship, which we never, ever, ever thought that it, this would be our flagship. Um, you know, Minnesota, if anybody's familiar with that market um, for beer, it's a little behind. It's not, uh, it's, not, it's not Chicago, it's not Colorado, it's not out east or west. It's kind of this weird secular little uh, bubble where um, when stuff does get popular, they kind of own it and they think they, it's, it's unique to them, which in our, for, for us is great. But there was really no hoppy beers five or six years ago by production facilities. You can go to brew pubs and get a nice IPA, double IPAs. American barley wines, but you couldn't really, there was some, it just, that's not what they did. Um, so came out of uh, the two first beers, one was this beer and then Bender, our brown ale, but this, we're like, this is going to be great. This is what we think is needed in this market. Um, so we, like everything, we kind of wanted to go, well, if, if this is good, let's make it bigger. Let's really turn people onto flavors in beer and craft beer that they've never, ever experienced before. So um, Furious is a very, very malt-forward, hoppy um, loosely an American IPA, and I say loosely because obviously it's probably too dark for an American IPA. Um, the alcohol is about 6.5%. Um, it relies on a lot of English malt, uh, Simpson's Golden Promise and Simpson's Crystal to give it, um, and some uh, Belgian aromatic malt to give it this intense malt character um, so we can just add piles and piles of hops. So as a result, it's got body, it's got weight, it's got a lot of things that aren't in most American IPAs, especially California IPAs, um, which are going to be a little bit drier, a little bit thinner, a little bit lighter bodied, maybe even a little more alcohol. This is more, um, I guess, more rich. So in Minnesota, this is what people now kind of think is an IPA, which is interesting to me because technically it's kind of a little little out of the realm of it, but uh, it's taken off. We can't keep up making this beer. We've run out of hops every year. We're trying to somehow grow secure hops so we can forecast and continue to grow. Um, so there's about, what, three pounds per barrel of hops in this beer? So uh, dry hopped. Uh, it's all pellet hops. We don't use any extract um, for bittering. So Warrior, if anybody's homebrewer, any homebrewers here? A couple? Um, so Warrior for bittering. Um, and then a blend of Warrior, Simcoe, Amarillo, um, a Tanum for Whirlpool and dry hopping. And then this year, because we got shorted a Tanum last year, we're blending in some Cascade with the Tanum this year. So uh, this will have the five hop blend in this batch here. So what else? 
little furious. Well, I would say, you know, this beer a little bit is a great example of kind of what we, what we try to do at Surly when Todd and I were talking back at Rock Bottom um, all those days or when I'd be sitting in a chair and watching him work and we'd be talking about beer. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about the vision of the brewery, of what kind of beers we were going to brew, who we wanted to be. And um, a lot of that vision and the styles of beers we brew kind of come from, from those discussions of a lot of insight Todd had in the industry. And he said, you know, the breweries that are out there that, that have made a mark that, that he cared about, that he was interested in, were breweries that sort of, you know, planted their flag in the ground and said, you know, this is who we are, this is what we're going to do. And uh, we wanted to make a statement with our beers. So they're not... You know, they're not for everyone. Um, like Todd said, when we started brewing this, it was not something that went over uh, very well in the beginning. Uh, uh, when Todd was brewing, I was out uh, delivering beer, uh, uh, driving, selling. Um, and uh, I remember I had one bartender, uh, bar manager, that spit the beer out. And he said, well, why didn't you tell me it was hoppy? Uh, I said, well, um, I told you it was an IPA. I thought that would yeah. be enough. And then I didn't really know what to do, so I continued my sales pitch because it just seemed somewhat <laughs> awkward. Um, they now carry the beer, of yeah. course, <laughs> years later. But um, it is something we've tried to do with all of our beers is not, um, you know, uh, kind of, well, let's call it an IPA, and it's going to fit exactly what the, the uh, BJCP beer guidelines are, but let's brew beers that we think people want to have another one of that are unique um, so kind of all of our beers, we try and have some, some surly characteristic to that, whether it's an obscene amount of hops or um, kind of how we ferment those beers out or, or, or even the, kind of the packaging that we put it in. So um, before we go on to uh, some of the other beers here, um, obviously, you know, we've got a small group here, which is kind of the, the great part of it all. So if folks have questions, certainly feel free to, feel free to ask because that's uh, kind of the whole idea of what we're doing out here today. So. Omar, talk, where, did, where did the uh, top, where did the name uh, Surly, where did, where did it come from? What does it mean? Um, well, the, uh, uh, the name Surly back uh, in 2004, uh, when I got the idea for the brewery, you know, there was no brewery. Uh, there was, you know, a space to put it in my folks' old uh, dying abrasives manufacturing business. So we had a spot, but that was about it. But there was no equipment or anything. So uh, my wife and I spent a lot of time talking about um, uh, what the brew, you know, kind of the ideas, what we're going to name it and such. And she's here today, my wonderful wife, Becca. Here celebrating our 11th anniversary together, <laughs> which we realized this afternoon. <laughs> the anniversary. Luckily, we're here on a trip, so it's wonderful. Um, so we, we talked about a lot of different things. Um, you know, we had uh, at that point uh, a couple of dogs, so I thought maybe we should do something like Red Dog or something. And I remember mentioning that to Todd. I'm like, hey, I was kicking some ideas around for a name. And, and he looked at me and said, Brewers hate it when you name beers after animals. And I'm like, ah, okay, well, good to note. I won't, wouldn't want to do that then. So um, we kind of kicked around a bunch of different stuff and, and we wanted to do something regionally because I think that's the best name for a brewery to be connected to because breweries are so connected to the communities that they're in, the areas that we're in. But uh, we were not in Minneapolis. We're really close. So really close to Minneapolis Brewing Company didn't seem to be a good fit. Um, we're in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, which is pretty similar to Brooklyn uh, Brewery as far as a name. So that didn't work. Uh, so we really weren't sure where to go. So we kicked around some other ideas. 
And uh, being that my folks had this abrasive business for years that no one really cared about anything about what you name it, about what it is. It's just how much, what's the cost. That's all that mattered. Um, so we wanted to do something we could have a little bit of fun with. So um, we were talking for a while about what a good beer would be like and trying to come up with a name relevant to that and didn't get anywhere with it. So uh, uh, Beck and I were flying out to Portland, Oregon on a beer drinking trip. And uh, on the plane, uh, the question was asked, uh, you know, what happens when you can't find a good beer? You walk into a bar that's got Miller, Miller, Light, and Lineys. You get a little surly. So uh, surly is the anger fueled by the inability to find a good beer. And that's kind of where it came from. So it seemed to be a good fit for us. Um, <laughs> until years, or about six months later, we realized Surly Bike Companies was based in Minnesota. So you will not see any Surly Brewing Company bike jerseys or bicycles. <laughs> Unless it's co-branded. Unless it's co-branded. So the, the, one of the things that Omar brought, like you said, he had the logo, he had, I don't need to get a brew house yet. He came into Rock Bottom when he was assisting. Um, he, uh, and he brought me the business card with the logo on it. And at that moment, when I saw the logo, I was like, holy crap, this is actually going to happen. You know, the, that was the first kind of, not legitimate, but you know, there's a lot of homebrewers that want to start a brewery. I think there's some in this room, they're, there's, they're out there. So it's kind of like, is it, you know, just because I had, know this guy through growing up, I, you know, you never know. Some guys can do it. Some people don't ever actually get to that point. But when I saw the logo and the name and everything just kind of came together, and I don't know if everybody's or anybody's familiar with uh, Minnesota. We're, we're kind of, uh, to a fault, um, Minnesota nice, which actually means passive-aggressive. I don't know if anybody <laughs> knows that, but it is. Nobody's, we're not nice. They're way nicer out here. Because um, they're more real and honest and not, like, they'll smile at you and then they're, you know, that's not what they're thinking in their head. So Surly's, it fits Minnesota to a T. And I think that's a big part of the brand now is, is there's a lot of surliness in Minnesota. It's underneath, but it's there, and people enjoy letting it out through beers and kind of the attitude we have. It's safe and good fun, but it's, it's, uh, it's part of it, so... Yeah, and I don't think either Todd or myself are really old-timey, so when we're oh. talking to Todd about brewery names and what we're going to go and do, and in Minnesota we certainly have lots of sort of um, kind of canoe-themed uh, <laughs> beer stuff, and I'm just like, you know. Yeah, Northwood. It's, yes, it's Minnesota, but we do have a, a city that's not that small, so uh, you know, we've kind of wanted to bring a little bit more kind of a urban, I guess, feel yeah, to something I, as opposed to... Um, just uh, being out and fishing and drinking a beer. <laughs> yeah, and spending 10 years at Rock Bottom, as everybody, I'm sure, has been in one, they're notorious for the marketing department being allowed to pick the beer names, which drives all the brewers crazy, and that's what Omar was alluding to. It's like Brown Bear Brown. It's like, that's a horrible beer name. Lumpy Dog Light is actually cool. I mean, yeah, it's like, yum. A tumor-ridden dog. That sounds delicious. So... <laughs> Um, well, let's see here. Why don't we uh, uh, crack open um, our Has next... anybody had these beers before? Everybody? Anybody? Some people have. Some people are brand new to it. Um, why 16-ounce cans? Great question. Why 16-ounce uh, cans? That that's, is, her, that's my wife's fault. <laughs> that's a great question. Well, we gotta, actually, we've got to step back a little bit to, to fully address the, the, the can issue, the can story. Uh, when I was when I was working uh, or uh, apprenticing with Todd at Rock Bottom, um, we were talking about I don't know probably PBR someday and or one day and Todd was telling me how much he liked liked cans for a package for beer 
And, and uh, we were talking about it. And I'm like, well, that is a horrible idea. The only kind of beer you find in a can is crummy beer. So that's not something that <laughs> we're going to do. And on the way out, Todd said, someday I'm going to get you to put our beer in cans. And I said, sure you will. So um, it was, uh, um, we had a few other issues to deal with once we got the brewery going, um, no. building the whole thing and such. And um, it was, uh, we sold our first keg in February of 06, and uh, we ended up getting a packaging line in October of 06. So it took us a little bit of time to get, it, to get going. And um, we looked at the options of what, uh, of what made sense of glass uh, versus cans. And you know, everything we've tried to do at Surly is take a fresh approach at stuff, not say, well, the beer industry's been doing it this way for so many years, so that's how we need to do it. But let's do everything we can to make the best possible beer we can. And when we looked at it at that angle and looked at it at the great oxygen, the very low oxygen level pickup numbers that uh, were being shown by uh, um, the cask line that Oscar Blues put in, um, then we started talking about, well, this is actually a great package for the beer. Todd is um, very able to pick up uh, uh, any skunkiness in a beer. Uh, um, it's not enough to have a brown bottle, but Todd would be uh, have a leave rock bottom and wrap his his shirt and his jacket around that brown bottle to make sure it didn't uh, get any UV rays at all. So obviously, can is great for that. So so we talked about it, and we kind of seemed to be going that direction, and. Um, uh, but still, I'm just like, I don't know, man, cans, like, that's just, that's just a scary concept. And uh, it was actually Todd, uh, I think, kind of uh, suggested it to me on, on uh, what, what would be a little different. Um, well, one thing that, that, it's hard to believe saying it now, but it's the truth, is we, well, no, it is. We, I, you know, I remember the ad in the, in the New Brewer, and that Cask had that first ad. New Brewer, and that, you know, being at all the craft brewers conferences and, and kind of being in the industry, um, not knowing Dale at Oscar Blues, but knowing they were using this machine, um, and it really kind of made me think, when we, back to Summit, we, we'd work four tens, and uh, we'd all clean the floors and stuff on Thursday afternoons, and we'd take uh, turns every week, who would go to the liquor store and grab, like, the most obscure canned beer we could find, country club malt liquor, whatever, you know, just beer to drink while you're finishing up your work week. And so it's always mainly cans. So there's just kind of that, you know, it doesn't matter if you drop it, just that whole kind of like utility kind of aspect of the can. Um, but then when the whole craft canning machine, because they don't really exist until Cask made one. So um, cost then became less of an issue, or rebuilding an old rotary from 1950 isn't really fun, and you have high oxygen levels. So... Um, Knowing we could do that, um, and we didn't do it for marketing. You know, we've never went the, a lot of breweries decide to can and go the, the environmental marketing route. We just like, no, it's not, it's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's best for, we feel it's best for our beer. Even our brown ale has a pound per barrel of finishing hops, so it's still hop forward, which means it might not smell over, overtly hoppy, but if it's in the sun, you're gonna, it's gonna smell like a skunk. So, it was always that reason. It wasn't because nobody else was craft. No other craft beers were available in Minnesota, and they're still really not. A little bit, but not, not like they are everywhere else. So, uh, believe it or not, it was not marketing. A lot of people would be like, "Oh, you guys did it because it's trendy or whatever." And that's we usually make the decisions, and Omar's always supported me in that. Is it's what's best for the beer, equipment, packaging. So that's honest, the honest truth. And then my wife suggested, you know, 16 ounce cans would be great. 
Um, not only because you got longer format, it stands out, it doesn't look like a traditional crappy beer in a can. Um, and also, it's a, in a it's a same serving size you get a pint in a pub, so it kind of has that. So, which is kind of nice, you know. You can kind of go. It's a pint. Feel like you're more pub-like kind of atmosphere. So, so Todd had, had brought that idea, and one day he's like, "Oh, hey, uh, you know, Linda and I were talking, and uh, she thought of the idea of putting it in a 16-ounce can, a tall boy." And that was sort of the first idea, uh, you know, that 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 came up. And I thought, oh, a tall boy. Well, that's a great idea because, you know, that's like a British beer, you know, like a Boddington's Old Speckled Head. And I'm like, that's a great idea. That's, those are way better beers. I mean, those are British beers that are in a can. I mean, they're not canned beers. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I guess they actually are canned, canned beers. Um, but literally it was just that, that flash of like, oh, that's different. That's not a canned beer. You know, and, and it was that just little quick flash of like, oh, it's all what I think about the beer, how the beer is going to taste. And it just seemed to be, um, it was a little different. Um, it, so it wasn't just another 12-ounce can next to the, you know, suitcase of old style or, or uh, whatever folks have uh, in their own region. But um, well, In fact, little- liquor stores, retail accounts had a, had a problem with it. They're like, well, where do I put it? I'll, you know, this is where the canned beer goes, next to Coors and Miller and it's like, yeah. that's okay, just put it there. People will find it. And it's turned out that they have found it, and nope. we can't keep up. But um, the, uh, it goes along, right, with the whole Surly, or the attitude from the name that the story Omar told, that it's not what you expect. It's not what people expect. It's got a little bit of attitude. But also, if you notice the cans, you know, we we're very rarely are we style-specific. So it's furious beer, furious ale in the can, and Bender. So um, just so that people don't have a, any conceptions about what the beer might taste like because there's always oh i had an ipa once i didn't like it so i don't want to try that well what if you didn't know what you thought it might taste like and you just got to taste it then that seemed to work so yeah the guy just um last night i think that said oh i don't like bitter beers i'm like oh okay like do you like furious oh my god i love that beer i'm like okay well let's kind of talk about what bitter beers are so you know, there was that idea that, you know, if you just we stamp IPA on it or brown ale on it, well, I don't like brown ales. And we always tell folks, well, have a bender, you know, close your eyes and drink it. You know, it's not necessarily going to be what you think. And that's kind of what we've tried to do with, with all of our beers. So we have uh, in front of us now is a bottle of 2011 Darkness. Uh, Todd, why don't you talk about the beer a little bit? I'll yeah. grab a bottle. The, this uh, mess of a beer. Um, has anybody here had Darkness? Probably the same guys that have had Furious, yeah. Um, so Darkness is a beer that, uh, um, talk about the name, um, it's actually kind of uh, inspired by a Chappelle show skit. So anybody's familiar with that? Yeah. So, and everybody thinks it's like evil and stuff. No, it's absolutely rooted in, and that we just wanted to make, I wanted to make the darkest, blackest beer I could make. So, um, like light, you can just see the foam, it's... It's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, get your feet off my couch. Um, but it's uh, so that's the name, Darkness. It's one of those beers we make once a year. Obviously, different package. Um, when we first brewed this, we just sold growlers and, and kegs of it for draft. Um, well, the first year was just kegs. I thought we did some in two thousand six. We couldn't oh. sell growlers. Oh right. Oh, so, so, you're right. We sold one keg of yeah. growlers. So um, so we. I don't know. 
I'm not sure. I, oh, I don't remember. The, the, just the, the one limitation with canning, in our opinion, when you're small, is the order you got to place. You know, it's not like ordering a pack of labels. Yeah. Yep. Right, we have to order a truckload of, of, um, of cans, so that means we'd have to order basically 400 kegs worth of beer. In the yeah. first year, we made 12 barrels. 12 barrels of this, so and that's I'm, 24 kegs. I remember yeah. when Todd was talking about brewing this beer, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about brewing, because we had a little more free tank space back in that day. <laughs> and uh, he was telling me that he was going to brew this beer, um, this big Russian imperial stout. And I said, do you hate me? Like, how in the hell am I going to sell yes. 20 kegs of this beer in this town, this Russian Imperial Stout? No one knows what it is. No one's going to like it. I'm like, great. But... Um, you uh, might have been crying, actually, too, when I said it. <laughs> that was another... No, that was later. But, <laughs> um, but that's something, you know, I've, I've always been... Uh, something I think is a real core part of who Surly is, is uh, when we got Todd on board was kind of letting him... Um, his vision come through. I remember I took American Brewers Guild class. Uh, Steve Parks uh, was a teacher, and I remember him talking about this. He's a, a, a British fellow that's, uh, I think, opening a new brewery out in Vermont, all right? And um, in this class, he talked about growing up or, or learning to brew in Britain. He says, you know, back then, when I was there, the brewers brewed the beer, and then they told the salesman what they made, and they would go sell it. And he said, well, now the world doesn't work like that anymore. Now the sales guys tell the brewers what to brew with it. He said, unfortunately, I don't think that's ever going to change. And, you know, that was part of that whole vision of when Todd and I would be sitting around talking in rock bottom of saying, those are the kind of beers we want to brew. I, I was a home brewer, but not a great one. Um, and working with someone like Todd, it's like, I want that vision to be what's leading the charge here. So when he told me about making this beer, um, I was a little taken aback, but uh, we thought we'd give it a try. And, and the, the crazy thing what happened was, I think that first year, uh, we brought it to some bars, and it just kind of spread like wildfire. It went viral, I guess, and people started. Uh, like one guy drove up from Wisconsin, yeah. and um, he bought some glasses in a bar and poured them in his bottle and then hand-bottled it in the bar. <laughs> Hand-capped, he capped it in the bar and then brought it back to drink with his friends. And so it just sort of this thing just kind of exploded on us and we were pretty shocked and I was certainly shocked maybe Todd wasn't oh, and um, you know so we just brewed like I said 26 kegs that first year and it's just grown ever since and then 2007 we we're able to uh, sell growlers and bottles at the brewery so that was our first foray really into bottling doing these 750 milliliter bottles and we choose a different artist every year um, which is one of the reasons that the cans we never figured would work. We, we like to tie in local artists. We pick a different one every year that does a series of, of bottles. If you want to pass those around just to let folks know. So this is a gentleman, uh, Michael Berglund. Michael Berglund, who um, actually won our coaster contest. We uh, uh, do that. And um, um, so he... Uh, Came up with the zombie theme, uh, so it's always fun working with uh, 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 with artists. There's certainly a tremendous amount of creativity there, um, and kind of work on their vision of what that beer is going to be. It, co it comes out around Halloween, so it, we kind of have a little bit of fun with it. And um, uh, I think this last year, how much of it did we brew, Todd? Uh, 200 barrels? Yeah, I think 200 barrels. 200 barrels, so still a lot more, but certainly not enough to keep up. And it's just even, even the artwork, you know, we've... You know, some people think it's uh, aren't really big fans of the artwork that changes from year to year. They think it's kind of silly, and that's always just part of, of what you deal with. But 
that itself has taken on a life of its own. I ran into a guy recently who said, yeah, I found a bottle of 2007 Darkness, and we did probably 550, 570 bottles that first year. I, I numbered every one of them, and we sold them at the brewery. We had the event uh, that first year in the winter, December. a cold, cold day. And um, uh, the guy said, yeah, I got a bottle of 2007 Darkness. It cost me about 100 bucks. I got it on eBay. I'm like, wow, that's actually a pretty good price for a 2007 bottle of Darkness. Like, when are you going to drink it? He's like, no, dude, it's just the bottle. It's empty. You're doing it wrong. Oh, boy. So, like, honey, I wish, I wish we had more, honey. There's only a case left. Hey, at I got the, a great idea. Why don't we just sell the empty bottles? Yeah, It'd be a lot easier. So, um, it's another thing that's kind of taken on a life of its own. Right. Uh, we, do you want to talk a little bit about Darkness oh, Day, yeah, Todd, yeah, yeah. and how that's become um, its own animal? Well, it's, uh, I guess, it's, it's un- fortunately and unfortunately, it's a beer we make, or used to make, brew once a year. Um, so, as any home brewers, or any, I mean, anything you do once a year, you kind of might figure it out right when you're done, and then you got a whole year to forget everything you figured out and then ready to screw it all up again. So the, the good thing about now is we brew more of it, so we, the process is getting better. I'm kind of, kind, of, uh, kind of like to refine processes, so the process stream for making the beer, everything from raw material handling to um, the, beer, the actual brew day to fermentation to how it's aged, all that stuff, so that it's trackable so that we can actually do it again and recreate it. Um, on this beer, that's proven to be a little bit harder than the other beers. Um, it starts at like 30 Play-Doh, so it's a stupid, big, sticky, sweet beer. Um, so it doesn't always louder very well. It doesn't the brew process is not easy? It's kind of a pain. It, you know, everybody's excited about it the first couple times we brew it, but then it quickly becomes um, kind of like, oh yeah, we got to brew that again, and you know kind of you show up and you brew and you don't really know when you're going to get out of the brewery because it could could be that bad. Um, so we've, we're, every year it varies a little bit. So I like that. Some people don't, whatever. Um, the the art changes, I think that's cool. Um, the cool thing is it's art, you know, it's, and it, so is the beer. So uh, I like the fact that it changes every year. Um, we don't intentionally change things um, necessarily unless it's raw materials. We used to use a hop variety called Summit in it the first two years. Um, and then I'm not happy with that hop, so we quickly changed it. So stuff like that we'll do, but um, most of it's not intentional, whether people believe that or not. Um, it doesn't always taste the same. Doesn't the yeast, Everything doesn't always work the same on this beer. So um, that's it's just full of, I mean, it's pretty much uh, roasted barley, chocolate, black. It's, it's just this mess of everything malt-wise and uh, um, some Belgian candy sugar, um, a ton of hops, um, you know, a beer this old, you're not going to really smell or taste them, but for a, for a stout like this, it's considerably hop forward. Um, it's also oats in there. So it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's fun to make, but it's also um, can be a nightmare, so, which kind of fits the theme. <laughs> so what else? <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> we should do that 10th anniversary. <laughs> Omar, Todd, when you guys release Darkness, don't you do an event? Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What's, what's yeah, that, we've what's got a little, like? uh, a little event called Darkness Day, and uh, you know, probably have to say my favorite was probably our first one because no one knew what to expect. And um, uh, you know, one of the reasons um, we wanted to have a brewery was uh, it's a good reason. Uh, you've got a good opportunity to have a couple good parties. Um, and... 
when we had uh, the release of this beer uh, that first year with this, this, like the law changed that we could in Minnesota sell beer in these 750 milliliter bottles and we kind of came up with the idea and then we had to get the art, some artwork done and it took a few months to get it done. So the first chance we had to do it was literally this December weekend. And if folks have not been to Minnesota, that is not a weekend you'd want to be outside. So, um, so we just picked some December weekend. We didn't really know what was going to happen. It was the first time. And basically we just said, hey, because we always sold growlers on Saturdays. And we said, hey, come on out to the brewery. We'll be selling, you know, 500 bottles of darkness, limit two per person. And, and that's that. So uh, it was the first time people um, started camping out, which is pretty impressive in uh, a, a December day in Minnesota on Friday night. And uh, we got there early in the morning. I probably got there like 7 or 8 or so. And um, because it was so cold, we let everyone into the brewery because we didn't want them to freeze. And uh, we got them on in there and then, you know, went out and got some Krispy, Krispy Kreme donuts and coffee. And, and they're like, awesome, we didn't know that was coming. And uh, I think then, you know, we kind of we busted out a keg of coffee bender since they were there and it was early. You know, why not give them a beer? And, um, <clears throat> and we had a hot dog truck inside. And then at around, um, around 12, we had uh, uh, Sarah Lawson, who is our uh, third employee, and a uh, uh, guitar and a band. Uh, her band played um, God Came From Space. And uh, no one had any idea that was coming. And basically, we just sort of poured free samples of smoke and dark, no, no darkness, smoke and other, other beers all day and just basically wanted to make it a party. Thanks for supporting the brewery. Thanks for coming on out. So it started off as this little event. And now uh, we sell, uh, I think last year we sold 9,000 bottles at the brewery. And um, we can't even do it ourselves legally. So the city actually owns the liquor store in our, in our municipality. So they come on out conveniently. They come, well, if it wasn't for that, we couldn't do it. But they come on out and sell the beer. Um, we have three bands play. Uh, I think we had around, well, I don't know, what was it, 3,000? 3,000 people come on out. Folks, uh, we open the doors at noon on Saturday. And folks, uh, the first, not in December, no, it's uh, the week before Halloween now. And um, it, uh, um, yeah, noon, noon doors on, thir- uh, on Saturday is when it opens. And this year, the the folks from South Dakota showed up at 1 o'clock on Friday afternoon to camp out on our neighbor's lawn, which made things a little difficult. So, uh, so yeah, it's kind of basically the whole thing is filled up. The whole, the whole industrial park, it's just it's, it's a crazy thing. So hopefully we can keep going and doing it because some breweries that do some similar things, it just becomes so big and so massively unwieldy. You do everything you can to make sure people have a good time and have fun, but... It's, it just gets to be, and you got five, 6,000 people out there. It's kind of hard to make it all work just right. So, Yeah, so obviously now we, we hand-bottled. We did growler sales first of that beer, and then we hand-bottled, which a nightmare. Like three or four guys, Omar, um, Sarah, Ben, and then we even had some volunteers come in, Pete mm-hmm. Mack and, and uh, Blickman, uh, just their homebrew bottle fillers, Blickman gun, beer guns. Yeah, went over to Midwest Homebrew Supply and, and got a few a, of those. Bought a pneumatic capper, so we'd have three guys filling. I'd be capping, and it was it's like how, two days of that. Just that's all we. No, did. that one one year we did three days of yeah, it, it was, which that's a long time to be. Yeah, and squeezing everybody a trigger. had blisters and trigger finger, and so we got a big stereo PA. It's basically a PA, and it's, it's our brewery uh, stereo. But yeah, it's a giant PA for for you know live music 
So that keeps us going, and lots of metal and electronic music for three days just to keep everybody going and awake. And then, uh, then we got a Mahine, which is a small, um, small bottling line made in Washington. Um, and uh, that's what we still use today. We, uh, we use it about four times a year for this beer, Smoke, um, our anniversary beer, and then we'll, this year, for the first time, we'll have a fourth bottle beer out. It's uh, kind of the little brother, or, or I don't know, cousin to five, which we're going to try in a little bit, and that'll be called Pentagram. That's an all-Brett beer aged in red wine barrels. So it'll be similar to five, but a little different. Um, but the bottle, back to that, the original question about the cans. Um, so basically, our idea is anything we recommend to drink fresh, hey, get this can, we, we, we've... I think, in my opinion, we're one of the first smaller craft breweries to actually date code our cans, which I think is important. Again, we didn't use it. We don't market it. We didn't put out a press release. Uh, we just feel it's important for the consumer to have that knowledge to be, hey, I'm spending 12 bucks on this four-pack of beer. I kind of want to know, you know. Um, and it forces the retailers to hopefully pay attention. Um, so with the bottles, we're like, hey, here's a beer we're going that's available, and it's suitable to aging. Cans, drink them as fast as possible. Um, the bottle products we make are great to age for a couple years or more. So the smoke we're pouring on the floor is actually um, almost two years old. So um, as most of you guys know, there's a lot of beers that are awesome to age. Um, so we've kind of made it easy for people. Anything in a bottle we make, go ahead and age the stuff in the can. I'd, it's better when we release it. So pretty simple. Now what are you drinking, five? Oh, dear. So, yeah, that uh, <clears throat> after that year of uh, um, hand bottling for three, four days, um, I remember talking to Todd. I'm like, you know, Todd, if we could find a, put another beer in a bottle, maybe we could go ahead and get a Mahine because we could make more beer in it. We wouldn't have to sit here all week filling these by hand. So um, that was uh, sort of the origin of uh, our anniversary series of beers. Um, so they've all been different. Um, I remember Todd, uh, the first uh, one that we brewed, um, uh, uh, Todd ended up uh, getting uh, how many pounds of cranberries? Oh, that was the second one. Oh, it was two. First one oh, was that's like right. a huge lager. Yeah, a big yeah. lager. Our, our, our second anniversary beer, Todd got how many pounds of cranberries? Like 1,000 pounds yeah, of cranberries. Yeah, pounds of cranberries from my wife's, uh, Linda's father, who uh, she grew up in northern Wisconsin. Some of their family friends have a cranberry bog in northern Wisconsin. And uh, they've always, I've always made beer with their cranberries every year at uh, Rock Bottom, small batch, like 10, 15-gallon batches. Like, let's, it works out great timing-wise. It's in the fall. Let's do something with, let's do cranberry stout. So every, every year for our anniversary beer, just a beer to celebrate making it another year, uh, Todd basically goes underground, uh, com, com, keeps me completely in the dark about what's going on as long as he possibly can, which now seems to be part of the fun. And um, we brew something crazy, something big, something we're probably Stupid. not Stupid. planning to brew again. Ever. Ever. And usually they end up being such a pain that there's no desire for them. Uh, to brew that again. Right. So that year that we had uh, a haul up, uh, uh, you know, Linda's dad brought down that truck of cranberries, and we're like, oh, wow, look, it's a truck of cranberries. Yeah. We need to what am I going to do with these? Yeah, we need to put them in bags, I guess. And, yeah. you know. Literally, get, the, the bed of the pickup was full of cranberries. So we're, the, yeah. Yep, so get a truck and, or, or get a shovel and, and put yeah. them in garbage bags, and then how are we going to get them into the brew house? I yeah. guess we'll just haul them up the stairs. And, uh, um, 
that process. Uh, one year we uh, uh, brewed a black braggot with was it one yeah. barrel of honey? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like. 1,200 pounds of honey or Yeah, 155-gallon drum of honey, and I don't think there's... It was two? Yeah. I don't think any plan to brew with that again. No. Because it was, once yeah. again... Uh, so like, you know, yeah. a lot of it... It's a lot of processes that haven't been done before, and right. you're trying to get, you know, 110 gallons of honey out of a drum. It's it's harder than it sounds. Yeah. You, and you don't know that until you're doing it. So there's some well, I didn't even pictures. know honey came in drums. I mean, honestly, when I... <laughs> the whole idea, it's like, it starts with the beer again, and then it's like, okay... You could make that in five-gallon batch pretty easily. Uh, how do you scale that up to you know 100 barrels so that we can make enough just to make some some people happy? You know, um, so the anniversary beers quickly became um, a, not only a challenge for me and the brewing staff, but a process thing. It's like how do you, how do we? So the scary thing is how we did it. Um, luckily, OSHA didn't wander in that day, but um, so we get. I had a stack of pallets. Almost, you know, like about three feet up to the ceiling, had the barrel up there, so we had gravity in our in our favor, and I had to rig up a recirculation line with the hot wort out of the kettle to go into the barrel and out just to get it moving because it was honey, you know, um, and it's so I had to actually deep I had to I had to make a vent in the barrel as we're doing this because it was like heating up and expanding and so it was certainly not safe, but uh, I think me and Cal. <laughs> Me and Cal enjoyed it. The cranberries were great, except uh, I, um, you know, did the louder process. We just have a, a single infusion mash louder ton and a, and a brew kettle. Very simple English um, style brew house. Um, so loudered the wort for the cranberry stout. That was in the kettle boiling, and then I wanted a pasteurization effect on the cranberries. I didn't, I didn't want it to be, you know, weird, too weird. So I was like, okay, we'll just do like a hot back with the water ton after we mash, get the mash out with all these cranberries. Cooked enough with cranberries to know you heat them up, they kind of macerate themselves, you don't have to do any crushing to them. So I did that, and it was great. It was working great, smelled great, the wort looked great. It was like this almost like black wort with uh, kind of a tinge of uh, pink in it. Um, and then all of a sudden the cranberries just started to macerate and disappear. I was like, huh. Where are they going? It's like, well, they're going through the louder screens, you know, into the kettle. So it was like pectin and all this crap, and they clogged the heat exchanger. Um, so 1,200 pounds of cranberries, when I, you know, went to move them from the louder ton, it was like 10, 10 gallons worth of, of pulp. I thought it would be buckets and buckets. No, it all went into the kettle. So, yeah, never, we'll never ruin that one again. Never ruin that one again. And- you know, for our fourth anniversary, we'll get to the fifth anniversary in a minute, yeah. but they're all just crazy stories. The fourth anniversary, we did a um, iced coffee espresso milk awesome. stout. We'll do that one again. And um, uh, so uh, we have a coffee beer. Um, actually, it's downstairs. Hopefully, folks can stop by and try that. So it's sort of a, a little bit of a variation on that. And one thing Todd wanted to do to kind of bump up the alcohol on that was not just to brew a beer with higher alcohol in it, but to, um, to freeze it and basically distill out some of that water so we've got a higher concentration of alcohol in there. You, the, the flavors you're going to get are going to be different you know, from, that, from one process to the other. It's not the same to get a beer to 9%. They're going to have different characteristics. And so what we did is we put this beer into one of our bright tanks, and instead of setting the temperature for, I don't know, 30, 33 degrees, we set it at, what, 24? 18. 18, which is our glycol that keeps everything cold. It's usually around 24 um, I set the glycol down to 18. You turn it down. There you go. So, so basically, we're kind of freezing this beer 
from the outside. And it's always a huge issue on, uh, you know, Todd works on the making of the beer. It's sort of my, my project to sell the beer. And uh, now we don't really worry about selling the beer. Now we allocate beer. And uh, so the whole process, Todd is going to make 60 barrels. I'm like, well, Todd, how much, you know, we're going to freeze it. How, you know, what are we going to lose? Because I, I need as much beer as we can get. And he goes, well, you know, I don't know. I've never done it. So I would say we'd probably lose a couple barrels, maybe. So um, the day came that we finally um, transferred this beer out. And once we transferred it out, we uh, uh, opened up that, we opened up the door and looked in there. And it was just covered with ice. It was, I don't know, how, how thick. Yeah, six, eight inches thick. And it ended up that instead of losing one or two barrels out of 60, we lost, I think, 15. Yeah, at least. And uh, I just remember uh, uh, thinking, so now what do we do? Uh, we just brewed more. So we did end up brewing more, which ended up working. So that was sort of the first time that we're just like, oh, our beer, our anniversary beer is going to come out the year that uh, of the anniversary. We're not going to really be so... No deadline. Yeah, we're not going to... You know, be that you know buttoned down and worry yeah. about the exact date that it you know the anniversary. That's a little too silly. So right. so if, as long as it comes out in the right year, we're happy. So um, so uh, that gets us to five, um, which was way late, but uh, it came out in the right year. Um, and it's a type of beer that Todd and I have talked about brewing. I don't know. We probably talked about it for about three the whole years. Year. Well, yeah, five, four or five years. Probably. Four. Yeah, yeah, about three years. I don't think till we talked about. Um, brewing a beer like that. And for me, uh, some of the first uh, Brett beers I ever had were from, uh, from Russian River, uh, having some of their beers, which were fantastic beers, and kind of you know, got me interested in that whole process of how it works. Right. And we talked a little bit about kind of the concept and, yeah, and how we, we did the whole thing. We certainly talked about, you know, once we start it, we kind of want to have a quote-unquote program. Um, it's 100% Brett, so we, there's no lacto or uh, PDO in it. Um, so Brett is just a different type of yeast. Than, um, than what we use in the, our regular ales and lagers. Um, it has a unique flavor profile that actually would be considered a flaw or defect if it was Infurious or, or Bender. Um, so while we were growing, now that we have the whole building, you know, for years it was kind of like phase of taking over the whole space. So we didn't want to bring something in the brewery that we couldn't keep separate. So now we've got a dedicated 60-barrel fermenter that that's all it does. Um, the Brett lives in there. Well, that's one of the big issues when you bring Brett this strain into your brewery is that can infect everything in your yeah. brewery because, you know, like yeast go, you know, if you have a transfer line that you use for multiple things or you run it through a packaging line, it just takes a little bit in one hose and all of a sudden you have a press release saying, yeah, we've got a problem with our beers. We've got a slight infection and they seem, the bottles seem to be blowing up or something. It uh, seems to be part of the, the new craft beer movement that yeah. everyone has a Brett infection at some point. So it was something we talked years about. How in the world are we going to keep this from messing everything up right. in the brewery? I mean, so. Everything from gloves to any, any soft gasket, anything, completely separate, only used for this. And that's something that, you know, I learned going to CBC and listen to Tommy and Vinny talk. It's not anything I came up with. But, you know, just to, to finally have the space, it's, it's, you know, we got a hundred and some wine barrels. And, you know, we can't, can't clean them outside like you can in California. There's a lot of limitations in Minnesota. Um, at Russian River, they literally have a pad outside where they clean all their barrels. Um, so that's an issue, too. You don't want to open up a barrel, empty it. And if you need to clean it, you don't want to do it next to your, you know, your fermenters that have all your other stuff in it. So it's very, it can be an issue, um, and we've kept it very separate, separate pack. The good thing about the bottling line is I can take every part off it, and we literally put it in our homebrew kettle and boiled it. 
So that's the good thing about the small equipment we have. Um, as we grow, I know um, Goose Island, um, a lot of the big breweries that are working with uh, different, whether it's uh, souring organisms, whatever they are, they've had good luck with certain CIP cleaning regiments that they're able to use their packaging line for both. Um, I don't know that someday we'll, we might get there, but, man, that scares me. So um, this is uh, basically, um, so Brett fermented it created the alcohol and the CO2. And uh, at that point, it's about, you know, 20 days old. Um, and it doesn't taste very good. doesn't really have any character. Um, we quickly, at about 20 days, we'll rack it into used red wine barrels. Uh, we get, m most of them came from California wineries. And, uh, and then it just ages in there. We didn't want fermentation in the barrels just because I didn't want foaming and stuff going everywhere. So it's very easy for us to just put the still beer in the barrels, use a silicone bung, put them back in the back of the warehouse. Um, they don't leak, they don't foam, they don't make a mess. Um, and then they sit in there for about a year. Uh, the souring happens when uh, anytime oxygen is present. So anytime we'll uh, made more wort to ferment with the bread, you'll get a little bit more acetic acid, which is the, the souring component. Um, this is on the sour side for a bread beer, um, which I like. Some, you know, we sent it to a festival of... Uh, uh, barrel and wood aged beers in Chicago, and the comments from the judges that it's too sour for a bread beer. So, whatever that means. Um, so, it, it's uh, the, that sourness increases over time. Um, so, if you age a bottle of this for another year at, at about 65 to 70 degrees, it's going to get more sour. Um, if you keep it cold, it's not. Brett likes 70 degrees, uh, doesn't like anything below that. It's just not very active, so you won't see any more souring, but. Uh, um, one thing we've noticed that the more we brew it, you get the sourness a little bit quicker. The second version of this that we're going to release every year, we just never stop brewing this. We tweak the malt recipe a little bit, the malt component. Um, that'll be out sometime this year. It's called uh, Pentagram, <laughs> and it'll be out uh, very similar but not as sour. So it's, it's definitely more representative of the new, uh, there's a new category for Brett Beers, the JBF. So we'll have either this or Pentagram in that this year. So... Um, as long as we get our beers there. This year it'll happen. GBF, we'll fill yeah. it out. We'll fill it out. Yeah. The form's out in time this year. We're not real good at really paperwork. Long, Bob. June 27th. Tell Clint. Um, so this has been an interesting uh, foray for us into wild beers, into bread beers. It's not anything that's been done in Minnesota. Uh, we don't really get many of them. Uh, or if we do, it's on such a small scale. Um, Goose usually, Islands, mainly. Yeah, yeah, which is a, on a pretty small scale yep. if you're really into... To, to those kind of beers, we'll search them out, but just general um, beer drinkers might not have ever been exposed to it. And that's something interesting, kind of a surly phenomenon that we've seen is that, um, you know, people, there, there are people that go crazy for, for some of our beers. Like we have a Hellas that we brew um, in the summer, and the folks in liquor stores are like, yeah, Omar, I almost had a fight over our last four pack. They got 20 cases and they sold them out in a day. They're like, it's a lager. Yeah. So but we seem to have kind of brought um, more people maybe into the craft beer fold that, you know, maybe they're just Surly fans or just trying to get into craft beer. Um, to me, the whole point is we've got more people drinking craft beer, which is what I think everyone out there on the floor wants us to see, whether it's our beer, Summit's beer, um, you know, whomever's beer. The point is getting more people drinking craft. Um, so with this beer, it's a little different than what most anyone has is, is had, and certainly for folks that are maybe Surly fans, but not really beer nerds. Um, uh, we have a little bit of that in Minnesota, and so some folks got this beer, and 
Uh, so this is kind of the first time we got some emails from folks um, not that pleased with how the beer turned out. Yeah. And uh, they're like, there's something wrong with your beer. I can't believe you're ripping off all of your customers. Some guy, uh, some guy even went as far to say, because on these bottles, like I said, we'd say, you know, drink now or age for up to, you know, a couple years, five years. And the guy actually accused us of telling our customers that so they wouldn't open it because in his mind, if they opened it, they would demand their money back. So that's really smart of you guys to tell people not to open it so that they wouldn't realize they got swindled. It's like, so... You can use the term swindled, however. Yeah, no. Um, I, mean, I don't think we could be any more clear. It says right on here that it's sour barnyard funk. I mean, if you, I mean so, if you, so it's, it's kind of, uh, as much as people love our Hellas, you know, they, they see our, the, the logo and they'll buy it even though they don't know what they're buying, which is it's kind of a double-edged sword. Yes, it is. So this year on, this, on the Pentagram, which is the, the, the first time yeah, we've warning. brewed our, our fifth, uh, our, one of our anniversary beers, there's, there is a warning on it. and says, you know, if you break open this seal, be forewarned. Yeah. <laughs> you might not like the beer. Pay attention, pretty Pay much. Pay attention, but, says, yeah. um, but that's all part of the fun. So um, talk a little bit about what, uh, um, what we're doing at Surly. Um, and we've been growing as fast as we can um, pretty much since that first year um, in 06. And uh, something Todd and I have talked about for years. I remember in, like, back in 07, 08, people would go on a tour and they'd say, are you going to build a new brewery? And we'd have 10,000 empty square feet. And I would say, uh, no, all of this empty space could probably use some fermenters. And um, so we've been adding more fermenters, growing, growing as fast as we can. And... Um, we were getting to the point that, you know, when Todd and I got the brewery going, I don't think there was ever any um, idea that we would have the success that we did. I mean, and I think Bob can attest to this, the whole industry has changed so much just in the six years I've been in it as far as what's going on, what you can expect, where craft beer is, where it's going. Um, you know, I always thought, well, if, you know, we can make payroll, we'll be in pretty good shape if we maybe did... I don't know, seven, 8,000 barrels, we'd be doing great. And it took us about three years to get to that. And, um, you know, this year we'll probably do around 20,000 barrels. Um, so it, it became evident uh, about a year ago that the end game was coming. This building was only so big, there was no more fermenters to put in. That empty space has gotten smaller and smaller every week. So we've got six more fermenters sitting outside the brewery uh, that we'll be putting in uh, next week or in the next couple weeks. And uh, that's kind of it for the building. There's no more to be done. And I, for the longest time, thought, well, that's going to be it. That's, I mean, I think we're pretty happy doing what we're doing. And there is really no end to how much you can grow. You can always kind of be on that treadmill. And it all goes back to, back to Ultimate, Bob. Uh, I went uh, with uh, uh, our employee number four, Jim Mott, who's our head driver. Um, he, uh, he and I got to know each other playing Ultimate. And uh, he and I were in Prague. Uh, at the World uh, Ultimate Championships. And um, did Olden in the way go to that one, Bob? No, we were the defending champ, though, so uh, we didn't go. Oh, I see. So you, uh, you're the defending champ. Very nice. Well, <laughs> dang. Um, so uh, 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 Jim uh, stayed a little bit longer, and he went out to um, uh, travel around for another week, and he went to the Stiegel Brewery. And when he came back... Um, he was telling me about, about some of his travels, and he said, you know, so uh, Russ and I went out, and we went to the Stiegel Brewery, and here I got this brochure, and, and it was really awesome. They had a restaurant, they had a beer hall, they had this big, you know, traditional beer garden. I'm looking through this, this folder, 
or this little flyer, and I, I turn to Todd, as we also just sit in the big room, and I go, man, can you imagine what we could do if we could just sell someone a glass of beer? Because in Minnesota, you can't sell someone a glass of beer at your brewery. So states' rights are great. We've got 50 different variations on uh, the three-tier system, so it's a little bit different everywhere. And in Minnesota, breweries can't sell glasses of beer to someone. You can give it to them, but you can't sell it to them. It's hard to build a business model on giving beer away. Um, so that was really the first time. Uh, that was, uh, um, when was that, July of 2010, um, when that kind of idea popped into my head. And I thought, well, you know, if we could just frame this debate right, maybe there'd be a way we could get that law changed. So that was the beginning of um, um, what became the Surly Bill, uh, which was a change in Minnesota beer law that breweries could sell pints of beer to people. So um, that law got changed last May, and uh, we're working now on building a new brewery. Um, have a meeting next week to hopefully nail down an eight-and-a-half-acre uh, site in the middle of Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, real close to the U of M. Um, and the idea is to, uh, uh, Linda just left to go back and pour uh, downstairs, but to bring her on and kind of handle the food component and have a probably a 100, 150-seat restaurant, uh, probably 300-seat beer hall, and, and a couple-acre beer garden. So um, really do a lot of fun things, and um, I've certainly been inspired by a lot of the breweries that I've gone to see, Stone, uh, Trogues, um, Founders, Victory. One of the great things about um, the BA, the Brewers Association, um, and about brewers is they're very collaborative. They're very willing to share what they're doing, what they're going on, even if you do sell your beer in their market, even if you are competitors. Um, folks still, I think, want to see better beer out there and want to see other good breweries succeed and have just more great beer out there. So folks have been great out there telling us kind of how they've been doing it, what they've been doing. And um, so hopefully uh, we ordered a, a German brew house that should be showing up, a 100-barrel Rolex system, um, which will be showing up in January of 2014. So we we're hoping to have a building to put it in. Otherwise, uh, uh, it'll just be sitting out in a parking lot somewhere. And um, uh, hopefully uh, that summer folks could stop on by and check out the new brewery and uh, have a beer. And like I would suggest, come out in the, come out in the summer. <laughs> Don't come out in December. So, Questions for uh, Omar and Todd before we wrap it up? Sir? Um, yes, Dot. When we make our coffee beers, what's the process? Um, Omar mentioned uh, four. Have you had four? The anniversary of your four? Okay. So are you, are you specifically referring to Coffee Bender, probably, or just? Okay. Coffee Bender is one we're pouring downstairs today, um, and that's our brown ale. That's, as Omar will point out to me often, that's the only beer that we've ever won a medal with. Um, it's, uh, it's actually on the cold side. It's post-fermentation. Um, and we used to, uh, we don't filter, but so it's, it's right before packaging, we do a 24-hour steep on the coffee. So uh, my whole idea with that was always, um, it's taken, it took years to get it refined, but is to create cold-pressed coffee, not with water, but with beer. So everybody, guys used to use, you know, brewed coffee or a, a coffee brewing process and then add that liquid to the beer. And I'm more interested in getting flavor intensity in the beer via, you know, if you handle it right, it's been tricky to figure out how to process it. We had to modify a 30-barrel bright tank so we could um, do that in 30-barrel batches. We figured that out. Um, 
We recently got a centrifuge, which uh, one reason we bought it was that we could do coffee better in bigger amounts, leave the coffee loose in the bright tank, and then centrifuge the coffee out, um, stuff like that. So we're trying to, like I said earlier, about pro- you know, into the process side of it, figuring this stuff out. It, it's There's a lot of stuff out there that, um, that we can figure out to do that. Uh, four was added uh, in the, at the, during the Whirlpool right after we stopped the boil. Um, it was steeped in espresso, uh, coarse ground espresso um, in the hot wort. So we've done a couple different ways, but Coffee Bender, which is our biggest seller for coffee, or, you know, coffee beer, it is uh, a cold process post-fermentation. So you get a lot of coffee aroma. You don't get the bitterness. You don't get, um, very, you don't get that whiny component. You get just... We always joke because it's called coffee bender, and people smell. Oh, it smells like coffee. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. So it does. It literally smells like cold pressed co- brewed coffee. So, other questions? Yes, sir. Do, do you plan to expand your distribution? Great question. Uh, uh, I think we plan are you a distributor? to distributor. <laughs> <laughs> we plan to brew more beer, and what happens to that beer? I, you know, I would think we should be able to expand our distribution with the new Hunter Barrel Brew House, but at the rate in which the craft beer landscape is changing, yeah, don't know. I mean, it's, you know, when I was out there selling beer bar to bar six years ago, you know, there were probably in the Twin Cities eight or nine craft beer bars. Well, now every bar is a craft every beer bar. Yeah. Every new place it opens up is putting in 30 taps, and they all want to have casks, and they all want to have special releases, and it's like, uh, you guys, you got to slow down a little bit. But that's what the consumers are demanding, and I don't, we don't see that right. that changing. So it's it's just the numbers just are ramping up so unbelievably that I sure hope so. Um, but I mean, you know, look at New Glarus; they're over a hundred thousand just in Wisconsin. You know, I mean, we'd, yeah. we'd like to sell our beer in some other places because it's great to come travel, drink your beer in, you know, other markets. It's fun. Um, we just honestly don't know what's going to happen. But, like, if this doesn't do it, I don't know what else we can do. Right. There's, only, there's only so much you can do. Yeah. So. And I honestly sleep better knowing the beer isn't that far away. I mean, to, know, I mean, it, to think that our beer is in Florida, I just I wouldn't sleep. It's sitting out warm and hot and so... Is it's kind of this weird thing where everybody wants to make more beer, but nobody wants to send it and have it get, you know, in bad, bad condition. Nobody wants to get that email that says, "Yeah, I bought your beer and blah blah blah, and it was out of date and didn't taste right." And I mean, it's everybody, not just me. It's so it, the closer it is, the better we can control it. But we'd like more people to get it too. So. Is it what? Are you going to build a brewery in North Carolina? Carolina? That was really, uh, I think, early 2012. So we're looking at more yeah. like a South Carolina. Yeah, that's, that's over. Maybe a it's over. It's over. That's really Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm all for a warm, warm location, and I'll winter there, and I go back to Minnesota. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, we're certainly going to see a lot more of that because it's 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 great for the beer. You know? Yeah, exactly. It's you know how much money. I think I read Tony from Lagunitas was talking about. Uh, having a beer in Chicago, and he's like, "Yeah, the cost of this beer probably twenty five, fifty cents of it was just shipping." Yeah. So. Uh, depends. You know, that's a that's we put a lot of finishing hops in that beer, um, so that's what I tell people generally. A lot of people don't like that part of it, and then there's people that do. Um, so if you like hop forward, like piney, drink it fresh. If you 
aged for three months, you know, and, and it's going to be dissipated. The, the hop character is going to be down. Uh, at a year, it's really, really good. Just really round and kind of, uh, kind of everything's still there, bitterness-wise, but the aroma is more, uh, more, more chocolate and raisin and, and cherry. So kind of depends on, I always recommend, it's kind of what, what people want. Where do I? I don't drink it. <laughs> I don't. I don't drink that crap. No. Um, it's funny. Every year when uh, some of our bigger beers come out or ones we've been working on for a while, usually the brewers are pretty much done with them at that point. Because yeah. Todd's been drinking them every day for right. a month. He's like, oh, finally that's uh, I, done. Some of my best memories are when it was just me and Omar, and uh, darkness is in the bright tank, and I'd be working on a project late at night, welding something, or whatever, and just that was my dinner. Just grab a grab a glass of darkness and sit there and just sip it, listen to music and work on stuff. And it's like that. So I, I like it fresh, honestly. I like it fresher. I mean, this was awesome today too. So. Okay. I think uh, Saber's starting. Thanks a lot to yeah. Omar and Todd. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. Thanks for coming out, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this Saver Salon. Craft Beer Radio is a mostly weekly beer podcast where we attempt to educate and entertain. If you haven't heard our podcast, we invite you to find us on iTunes or go to our website at craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Please visit craftbeerradio.com for more information.